Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And those of you that have been regular listeners know that I so enjoy bringing to you people who have focused on their own development as leaders, and they're also committed to helping others appreciate and grow into their full potential. And today I have two guests who have done both of those things really well. I mean, I'm always excited when I have two guests because it's a very interesting and different dynamic. So I want to welcome today Tony Carnesi and Brian Gorman. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad to have you. And I also, before we get started, want to give a big thanks to Super Connector, Lisa Snow, for introducing us. She's amazing in finding people who will enjoy getting to know each other. And I've certainly felt that way about the two of you. Before we get into what I know is going to be a very lively conversation today, I want to introduce Tony and Brian to you all. They are the co-founders of Do Be Associates. Tony is the consultant who helps business owners and leaders focus on what they need to do to get what they want from their business. And Brian is a certified executive coach, and his focus is how they show up or who they need to be. And their combined objective is for business owners and business leaders to fully realize the vision they have for their success. I love that combination. You know, that just clicked the very first time we spoke because both are essential pieces. And so as we start today, I would like for each of you just to take a few minutes to talk a little bit about your journey and what you do in your respective do and be parts of the uh, work that you do with clients. Righty. I guess being the first part of the equation to do, I'm going to go first. I'm a recovering CPA, Meredith, and I focus when we walk into a business, the first thing I ask them is, what is their report card? Because if you don't have the numbers to base your decisions on, you'd, how do you know what's right and wrong with your business? So as a consultant, it's important to make sure that we have the tools in place to measure as we implement changes. So, and I, what my inspiration to do this was when I used to do financial statement audits for companies, mm-hmm. and I asked the partners on the jobs, hey, can we help these guys during the off season because their margins are shrinking? And they said, that's not what we do. Mm. The processes and the procedures and the people and the management all is underneath those numbers. And if you have the clear picture of those numbers, then you can start digging. And that was my inspiration to learn how to make those changes in organizations and its processes, procedures, systems. That's the stuff I bring to the table. And as I was doing this, doing, not being, I realized that Sometimes people just didn't want to change. And I had some tools to change some people, but I didn't have enough. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started searching for somebody to, to work with to help me get through. And that's when I met Brian Gorman. Brian, take it away. And again, I am the B side of the equation. Uh, starting actually in uh, my undergraduate days in college, uh, 
I became very active as a change catalyst. And I didn't really understand that there was this thread through my various uh, careers for the first 20 years uh, until I actually uh, was trained as a change management practitioner. And then I realized that I had been doing change in one form or another uh, at, at that point for two decades. Hmm. Um, for many years, I served as a change management consultant on everything from mergers and acquisitions to um, reorgs to um, uh, new um, executing new strategies. My last big engagement, I was on a team of uh, change management consultants that worked with Merck in their global transformation in the early 2000s. Whether you're taking an organization of the size and scope of Merck um, or the leader of any organization, um, guiding them through change, it's the same journey, Meredith, because there is no such thing as organizations changing. It's people changing. Yeah. And so that's really um, the expertise that I bring is, um, you know, what is that change journey? And what is the neuroscience of helping people move through it? Mm. You know, both of those are so critical uh, to effectiveness. And I'm just so impressed with the way you've integrated those and you each recognize your unique brilliance in those areas so that you have this real impact with clients. And I know recently, Tony, you were telling us that you had been work talking with some employers about their uh, perceptions, opinions around their employees. And I'd like to kick off with that because I think there's a real rich ground for conversation around what you're hearing and what some of the answers might be. It's, um, just a little background of what's really gotten me going on this is, you know, Brian and I have really, in our podcast, we've talked about the employees, the people, and what they want, you know, and that goes back to, and we're going to be talking later about the four-day work week, the flexible environments, and those things. And then, you know, speaking with a, a large uh, leader of a financial organization with over 4,000 associates, and then somebody with a company with 30 employees, it's interesting to get their perspective. And the person with the large financial organization, she said, boy, I can't wait till this great resignation and then the job market starts to shrink because all these people complaining about coming back to work won't have a choice anymore. Okay, we just asked everybody to come back three days a week in January and we got so much pushback, it was incredible. On another side of that, what I loved coming from a smaller business owner, he said, you know, I just bought this company a year ago and the employees want things. And he says, what about me? I put my life into this business. I was the president for the last few years. Now I just became the owner. I've got a job to do, mm -hmm. you know, and it's interesting to hear their perspectives because they're a little frustrated, you know, and um, of course, you know, just to be truthful, I'm much more um, 
I listen to the smaller business owner more because I work with those more. I don't work with too many 5,000 member companies. And um, also, I think that from the financial services industry, there is a bit of narrow mindedness that I think exists. You know, the JP Morgans. Um, what's the other company that we've been picking on lately, Brian? JP Golden, Morgan and, Goldman uh, Sachs. Goldman Sachs. Okay. Those leaders have really come out and um, and just put a lot out there saying that they're right and everybody else is wrong when it comes to this. Look at Elon Musk. What did he just, just this morning, what did he say? Um, everybody's got to commit to working long, energy, industrious, Hard energetic, cold. productive hours. Hard Pardon cold. me, Meredith? Yeah. And these are the folks that are saying no. Not so much the small business owner, but definitely those larger companies. So that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. And um, from us, yeah. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Brian, I, I want to give you a chance to chime in here. What are your thoughts when you hear those concerns being expressed by leaders? My first thought, Meredith, is people need to learn how to talk to one another and to listen to one another. Mm. Um, when McKinsey uh, released a study just about a, a year ago about why employees are leaving versus why employers think they're leaving. Mm. And there is such a disconnect, such a disconnect. Um, you know, employees are, are leaving because they don't feel valued. Employers think they're leaving, whether it's because of the benefits or because, um, of, of the, the different work requirements and so forth. Um, people need to learn to listen to one another. And doesn't it start with asking, right? I think that's a key element of all of this. We have to ask the right questions in order to listen to what people um, really want to share. And I think, Brian, you've got some great questions that you encourage folks to ask to really get at the reason why. Yes, you have to ask the right questions, but before you do that, you have to have trust. Mm. Because it was just um, in, a, in a meeting earlier today with a um, Fortune uh, 500 company that is rolling its pulse survey out to uh, salaried workers uh, next year. And their real concern is their employer employees distrust that um, you're going to track my comments back to me. Mm. So yes, you have to ask the right questions and we can go over what some of those are, but um, if you don't have trust, you're not going to get the answers that you really need to move to the, the situation forward. That's a good point. In experience of both of you, what are you seeing companies do right in establishing trust so employees feel safe about giving honest answers? Let me give you an example of a small company I'm working with lately. And I was a small company, about eight employees. And I was on the phone, I was on a Zoom with the owner and one of his head people. And he says, we're going to hit a million bucks this year. The smaller end compared to what Brian was just talking about. And 
his staff person said, cool, I'm going to get my house. Okay. There was an element of transparency that existed between the owner and his head person. And there was also, he knew what she wanted. Mm-hmm. He knew it was important to her. And I think, you know, speaking, thinking back to the two people that I had, the other owners that I talked to when that, that smaller business owner, Brian, you know, make, you make a great point that maybe he doesn't know because, you know, we've been talking about what the employees should be asking for, for the last year. And, and it's been in the public. It's been written about what people want, people want, but there's not been enough press coverage about real employers with real needs. You know, it's only the guys with the big names that are getting the publicity. You must be back at your desk three days a week. But when you're a big, smaller company and you don't have that kind of financial power over your employees, you've got to give them something else. And that's where the conversation needs to start. You know, we can talk about what questions they can ask, but it's that connection. You know, this this one this one example I gave you, there was such a beautiful connection between the two of them. And as I've been working with, I discovered he has that connection with all his workers. And I'm like, mm. wow, that's what a smaller business owner needs to do. They need to slow down and say, yeah, I want to break a million bucks in business this year. If you guys help me, I'm going to help you. And that's where the transparency and that's the first word of tr- first letter and the acronym trust that Brian is about to talk about, I think, is that transparency. Mm-hmm. Um and that's when you start getting your people to trust you. But that starts the conversation and the questions. We can tell people what questions to ask till we're blue in the face. But if you start being transparent, those questions are going to be a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. So let me share that model. And it's based on the work of Judith Glasser, um, who wrote Conversational Intelligence. She spent decades researching the neuroscience of conversation. And the, the acronym is T-R-U-S-T. And as Tony said, the first T is transparency. And that's the kind of transparency that um, Tony was just giving an, an example for. But it's also the transparency about this is what I need from you. Mm. So as we talk about that employer-employee conversation, that leader um manager conversation, that manager frontline worker conversation. Um, The manager needs something from the frontline worker as much as the frontline worker needs from the manager. So being transparent about that. R is relationship. That's the relationship of seeing the world through the other shoes, or I'm sorry, seeing the world through the other's eyes, uh, walking in the other shoes, if you will. Um, So that's knowing as Tony was saying, knowing your employees, the people who work for you, not as the roles that they fill, but as the people that they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you you want to create that sense of belonging, you have to know the person. You have to offer them that psychological safety, which means you really have to have that kind of relationship. You is understanding, and that's that's the understanding that comes from deep listening, um, from appreciative inquiry, uh, from really, again, the transparency in relationship help uh, shape that understanding. S is shared success, and each 
of the three of us have worked with many leaders and leadership teams where they work very hard to craft the words of where they're heading so that they can each move forward on their own interpretation of those words. That's not shared success. Shared success is having the tough conversations to get really down to an agreed upon uh, set of outcomes. And then the the final T is uh, telling the tough truths with candor and with caring. And, you know, that last one, I think, is so difficult for people. Uh, We haven't been raised to do that. We don't teach this in our schools. And so it's it's not easy to figure out what is the right way. It it seems to me that what happens too often is people kind of, you know, either squelch it or, you know, put it under the rug and, and just set it aside and hope it will go away. And then when they finally can't take it anymore, they blow up. And then it's impossible to have a reasonable conversation in the midst of such anger and strong emotions. Do you all see that happening a lot? Amen. Definitely. You know, so many business owners, you know, operate out of fear. They really, and so do the employees and so do their managers. Um, We had one owner in particular who would take phone calls from customers over the weekend, he had 20 employees. Well, I, I don't want to bother my employees on the weekend. He mm. was afraid to, 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 to get them to work for him. He was working for them. Mm. Um, you know, and my feeling, when, just to go back a second, you know, business owners, and again, there's been so much written either about employees wanting, and, you know, we need to have this flexible environment. But then the only business owners that seem to get any publicity are the ones who say, screw that, you're coming in when we say you're going to come in. And it's those business owners who aren't those people who are being left out. And they need a voice. You know, they need to develop their voice within the organization to talk about these things, to get that that relationship. But you know what? They have put their lives on the line for their employees. Their heart is in it. And they need to be educated. And Mm -hmm. when the employees are reading about, hey, I want this, I want that, that shut up and listen goes to both sides. And what what I've seen, especially from business owners, is, hey, what about us? What about us? And they need to be educated. But so so does the workforce. The people now all of a sudden think they have all these rights. You do. You know what I'm thinking about as I'm listening to that, Tony, is this idea of victim versus owner. You know, if the owner is saying, well, what about us? And not looking at what am I not saying or doing, you know, or being or doing that will create an environment where I can be all these things that lead to trust, where I can be transparent with people instead of expecting my employees to figure it out and, and stand up or, you know, step forward and do what I want them to do. I've got to take ownership of who I'm being and what I'm doing to communicate clearly to them these expectations, these agreements I want to have with them. One of the that's uh, what's missing. Go ahead, Bryce. Sorry. One of the, the questions 
that you were alluding to earlier, Meredith. Um, why, business owner, did you go into business? I don't know anybody who goes into business just to go into business. Mm-hmm. So many business owners go in, start their business with passion, with purpose. And at some point they start working for the business instead of the business working for them. Mm. And so part of the the draw that Tony and I had when we came together was helping business owners turn that formula back around and put their business back to work for them. But even when they know why they get up and maybe even get up and get excited about coming to work every morning. If you ask, and what about those people who work for you? What gets them up and excited to come to work in the morning? Mm -hmm. Most of the answers are, I think I know. I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. (laughs) And yet, if you know why those people get up and come to work in the morning, what excites them, you and you can align the work that you need with that passion, now you've got that respect. You've got that, that hardworking employee. You've got the quality. You've got the retention. You've got the engagement, all of those things that leaders at all levels of an organization are looking for out of their employees. Mm-hmm. Tony's got a great example from one of our early clients on this. We talking about Joe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had a client who came to us with this grand vision. He knew exactly what he wanted to do with his company. And Brian asked him while we were Zooming with him <clears throat> in a stairwell somewhere because we couldn't find a quiet room. Oh. Joe, what do your people want? Have you ever asked them? And he looked at us with this, oh, he's like, no, I never did. And he could see that he was so passionate about his vision. And we got to him where he understood he has to find out what their vision is. Mm-hmm. He went and he asked them. When we met, when we knew him, seven employees, he's now close to 40. Um, he's done some, some of that's been organic, some of it's been purchases. But and his staff and I work with his staff are some of the greatest people you'd ever want working for you. The the level of engagement is just outstanding, and their level of caring is just outstanding. Um, and I had a thought on that, and I just lost. It. Well, let uh, me let me ask something while you ponder what that was and retrieve it. <laughs> and that is, this is a great example of a before and an after. So let's talk about what is it you helped him discover, Brian, in terms of how he needed to show up, who he needed to be, and then on your side, Tony, what he needed to do to help get him to this point where he's grown his company in this way and he has these employees that are so excited to be a part of it. Well, Meredith, when we had our early conversations with him, um, in essence, he was saying, I've plateaued. Um, I'm, I'm showing up. I'm doing some work. Um, and, and we actually asked him whether he would accept his behavior from his employees. And he said, no. 
<laughs> oh, great question. And and so he realized that he had to begin to show up differently. That he had to reconnect with the passion that he had when he started his business. And and in essence role model that. Um and and again, I've worked with organizations of you know virtually every size and so often leaders think that they can declare a change and somehow the people down in the organization have have to and will change well your organization is performing the way it is because of the way you're leading it and if you need that organization to perform differently if you need people to show up differently you need to perform differently and show up differently as a leader as well. So he came to discover what were the things he was doing and being that did not produce those results. And, and it sounds like he learned to get back in touch with that passion that he originally had in order to yeah. exhibit that with people. What else did he do, Tony? Well, he let go. He he allowed his employees to have more independence mm. and to work. You know, he trusted them. He trusted them yeah. to get the work done without him overseeing every bit because you can't grow to that many people without letting go. Mm -hmm. And the combination of understanding what they wanted out of life and what he wanted out of life and then letting go really is so important to do. Um, what I was thinking about earlier, I just want to mention, you know, one of my favorite authors is Michael Gerber. And Michael Gerber has a book, The E-Myth Manager. And he directly speaks to managers and say, if you're not getting your vision and your goals of life from helping the business owner get their goals and vision out of life, what the hell are you doing at that organization? Okay. And it's a beautiful message. You know, it's a, it's a wake-up call for both sides to go in there and ask questions mm. and shut up and listen, and not just one. And that's, and I've said this earlier on another podcast, it's not rocket science, but a lot of people just don't want to do it because you you alluded to it earlier. And it's fear. It's that uncomfortable having that tough truths conversation. Mm -hmm. And as much as business owners think, hey, what about me? They got to wake up. This is an educational, this is an opportunity to educate and grow. If you don't want to and, and become, as Brian and I would like to say, enlightened as a manager and let go of some of those traditional managerial roles that you think still work today. Yeah, I think part of the issue is what they have experienced in the past in their own work uh you know situations that they have been in and if they didn't work with an enlightened leader then they don't even know what that looks like and so they're doing the best they can with limited knowledge and resources and that's where you guys come in and are so helpful on both sides of the issue in terms of them thinking about who they need to be and i know that <clears throat> you, you both know this too the beliefs that we have about ourselves are so ingrained, they're so strong, 
And I'm just curious what you have found to be successful because this applies to anybody at any level in the workplace. We have beliefs about ourselves, what we're capable of, what we can do. And it often takes someone who believes in us and affirms with us our capabilities. And so what do you see? This kind of circles back, Tony, to what you were saying, the owners, the business leaders saying, well, what about us? So what can they do to help build their own beliefs about what's possible for them and also what's possible for their people? So, Meredith, I often coach my clients on how to turn their gremlins into gurus. Oh, I like that. Um, You're right. We all have these beliefs that have come from our parents, our schooling, our colleagues, our our bosses in the organization um, that limit us. And the, the short answer of how you do this is you change the story. You change the story because our, our minds are story processors, mm-hmm. you know, and if the story is um, I've peaked in my career, guess what? You've peaked in your career. Uh, Henry Ford said many, many years ago, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it's, it's through coaching, whether it's through counseling, whether it's through, um, you know, those tough conversations again with your peers or your partner, your spouse, um, what are those stories that I'm telling that are limiting me and don't take them on all at once, take them on one at a time because it takes time, but start recognizing there's that story again. What was the trigger? There's that's I'm getting triggered. Let me change the story this time. Mm-hmm. Learning to recognize that. And then, Tony, on your side, the the doing, because this is an interesting chicken and the egg question to me. You know, do we have to change the story before we can take different actions? Or does it is it that we need to take certain actions in order to change the story? I think one great place to start to make sure you have your story straight in your head, because you as a leader have your story. But that doesn't mean everybody who works for you is going to be going towards that story. It's going to help you with their story, with your story. And I am really bullish on this. Start caring. Okay. I And I love sports. And I quoted two football coaches over the last two weeks. One football coach who's won championships at both the National Football League level and the college level said, when you step up to be the CEO of an organization, this is Jimmy Johnson, formerly Dallas Cowboys, you make sure everybody in that organization knows that you care. Mm -hmm. Now, if people think that you care, they're going to open up to you. And then they're going to say, you want to do what with this company? What are you, effing crazy? We don't have the people to do that. Oh, my God. What does that open up? Now let's really take a look at what we got. Take stock of our company and real and, and fix it. Now you've opened somebody else. You, one of your top people knows that you care. And you share with them your vision. 
And they say, not with this group, because they might know them better than you at this point in time. You don't know. But boy, if you show that you care, you're going to get those tough conversations rolling. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you don't, I knew one business owner, he would close his door every day, 30 employees, close his door. Okay. His people were afraid to talk to him. Mm. Okay. They were afraid to talk to him. They didn't think he cared. It's so important just to, and it, it's just, you know, show a little love, you know, it's not going to kill you. You know, that that's, but business owners get caught up in, I have doing all this. What the hell's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. Somebody's got to take that first step and madam or sir, it's you. Okay. You're bringing up an important point there because I think one of the reasons leaders hold back from showing they care is going back to that vulnerability that somehow we tell ourselves this story that it's a sign of weakness we might risk losing our power and control if we show that we care. Brian, you're nodding your head. So do I sense you're agreeing with that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yet, Meredith, think about how you build trust with others. It's by showing that you're vulnerable, showing you're human, mm -hmm. by opening up and sharing your story. Before we make this a whole love-in, okay, I want to just point out, Brian, that you and I both shared that one of our, a book that we both read were Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun, okay? And it's a great book, and it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's about leadership. And Attila said, you can connect with the troops, but you don't drink with the troops, okay? You still can be that leader to share and to care, but there's a line you have to draw. Another football coach, Bill Parcells, said it, okay? He went from defensive coordinator of the New York Giants to the head coach, and he won two championships there. He says, when you become the head coach, you're not friends with everybody anymore. Okay? When I was that defensive coordinator, I was friends with my guys. When he became coach, we weren't such good friends anymore. Mm-hmm. There's a so, difference. Yeah, there's a difference between being friends and being friendly. Yep. And you can be friendly as a leader. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. Well, you know, this whole thing of showing you care to me is a good segue into the other thing I really wanted to give you a chance to talk about because you've actually trademarked, if I remember correctly, the four day work week. And so I would love for you to talk about what do you mean by that and what are the implications in, in addressing all these things we've brought up in our conversation today around employees and employers listening to each other. That trademark came through on March 31st of 2020. COVID beat it by two weeks. So we were, you know, we wisely made the decision not to try to bring anything around that to market at that time. Um, but we have, and, and you can see the, the logo for our uh, podcast behind Tony, uh, we have over the last year or so really started to 
talk about the different factors in the four-day work week um, very often on the podcast and as well as with uh, clients and, and in webinars and so forth. What we trademarked was not a Monday through Thursday, uh, Tuesday through Friday, literal four-day work week. The trademark was granted on the fact that this is really a metaphor for bringing flexibility into the work week in a way that serves your customers or clients, that serves the people in the organization, and that serves the business itself. Mm-hmm. So how do we weed out all of that time that gets lost along the way? And most of the time where organizations start um, is with meetings. So, Tony, do you want to talk about that? Sure. You know, um, based on our experience and what we've seen, most companies that have tried to go to a four-day work week, the first place to start is meetings. If you ask anybody, and Brian, I know you have a poll, I think a survey that you sent out recently, but how much time is wasted in meetings in organizations? How often do people come out of a meeting and say, why are we meeting? Why did we, I just lost an hour. Now I got to go back to my desk and get my work. I got to go back, get my work done. And it's a matter of really taking stock of how you do things, how you conduct your business. And a meeting is a good place to start and say, why are we having this meeting in the first place? And the goal here is to create more time for people to get their work done. Mm-hmm. And that's a start because in order to, the four-day work week is a metaphor also for just working on your business and not in your business. What? How can we do this better? Why are we serving these clients that take up so much time? How much revenue are they bringing in? So when you look at meetings and you hold people more accountable to being running a tight meeting, with the right steps in preparation to make sure the meeting is as short as possible and people walk out with a plan, what is that going to do for the rest of your day and the rest of your week? It's going to bring back time. And now people can say, wow, Mr. and Mrs. Business Owner, do you mind if I leave early? I want to take my kid to a game. Is your work done? Oh, yeah. Done. And that's the flexibility of that four-day workweek program that we that we bring to the table is, hey, I have more time for to, to I can I can be a little bit more flexible. And that's the key. Some people may go for the four-day work week and think this is great. Some people may want to work just shorter hours during the day. But the goal is to get more done in less time and still have the same or better results. Mm-hmm. I have to think you find resistance to that (laughs) for people's existing stories and beliefs about how the work week should be structured. Uh, Is that right? I just have to recall one conversation with a large payroll PEO organization, and I asked him about doing a workshop. And I said, we have a workshop on the four-day work week. He goes, oh, you can't tell our people to do that. You know, and this was early on, maybe a year ago. Maybe he's changed his tune since then with all the with all the publicity. But there's still I one time at the beginning of a networking group, I I said something about a four-day work week. They wanted to throw me out of the door out the out they, they wanted to throw me out. I mean, everybody thought I was crazy. And now it's taken hold. And and one thing before Brian and Brian, I'll shut up. 
Keep in mind, some people may freak out when you say you got to get your job done in four days versus five. They'll look at you and say you're crazy and, and they may leave. But if you soften it and say, you know, let's see if we can cut down on some of the wasted time here. Let's get some input on where we're wasting time. And then they can see, oh my God, I just read about the four-day work week. You think we could have one of those? Totally different mindset. It's how you deliver the message to your people and it comes from them. You know, I remember just reading one article. Oh, we announced we're going to a four-day work week this week. So you announced it. Did you do anything before you made that announcement? I'm just curious, you know, silly me. I'm just wondering. So that's yes, absolutely. It can come to all shapes and forms. And it's going to work in different ways for different people. And that's the important message that we want to get across. Mm-hmm. It's not one formula, but it's about being more productive and having more time to do more. Mm-hmm. Meredith, it really comes down again to what we were talking about before about um, treating people like people and not like roles. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there is, you know, you know, we've clearly seen Elon Musk as an example, both with, with Twitter and, um, with Tesla. Uh, he told his Tesla employees, you must be back in the office at least 40 hours a week or go steal time from somebody else. Um, as if he owns the employee's time. Um, there are those leaders. I had an interesting conversation not too long ago with Chris DeSantis, who wrote the book, Why I Find You Irritating. And the book is about intergenerational conflict. Mm. And and Chris made a really important point in, in our conversation. He said, we raise our children to fit into their generation. And then when they come into the workplace, we expect them to perform according to our generation's norms. Mm. Yes, there is resistance. And uh, this is Brian speaking uh, only on behalf of Brian at this point. I truly believe that we are at the early stages of the equivalent of the Industrial Revolution. That Monday to Friday, nine to five in the office, all of those things will be anachronisms a decade from now. (laughs) And those leaders who think the way they do um, are going to find it harder and harder to keep the best and the brightest. Very thought provoking. That's a great um, question for each of uh, my listeners to consider, you know, in terms of their own flexibility of their thinking about creating the, the time frame, the work schedule, of how to get things done in the most efficient and effective way. So everybody is productive. I love that. You guys have so much great experience, insights. I would love for you to tell my audience how they can connect with you and learn more about your work, because there's so much more than we were able to cover here today. Thank you. Well, if you look behind me, if you're looking for our podcast we're on practically every platform, it's called It's Doobie Time. Um, our, our e- emails, Tony at T-O-N-Y at D-O hyphen B-E associates.com. Our website is www.tonyatt.com. 
do-beassociates.com. You can find information about our four-day work week, um, our podcasts, Enlightened Management. Um, Brian, you can talk. I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about our Enlightened Management newsletter. All you. Okay. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at do-beassociates.com. And each week we publish a newsletter on LinkedIn called Enlightened Management. And it's anywhere from a two, three, four minute read on some aspect of what we've been talking about here today. That's great. And we'll be sure and put links to all of those in the show notes page. Tony and Brian, you guys are just amazing. I love the combination of the do and the be and how you bring those together to really transform organizations, meaning going back to what you said, Brian, it's not organizations that changes people. So the impact you have on individual lives, both in their work and in their personal lives, because it's all one. And so I want to thank you both and let you know how much I appreciate having you on my show today and just for the work you're doing in the world and the contributions you're making. Thank you. And we look forward to having you on our podcast very soon. And in closing, I'd just like to say when times get tough in business, it's doobie time. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.